going from where I was, where, like you said, it was, everything was negative. Everything was bad. Everything just sucked. And then it's, it's hard to get out of there. It's like you're in quicksand and you're, you're, you're working harder and harder and harder just to be miserable. And that like miserable is you're good. That's awful. That's awful that somebody feels like that. Welcome to the Stigma Free Vet Zone podcast. Our mission is to help veterans and their family members transition from military to civilian life and culture. As best we can, we avoid stigmatizing names and terms. We feature conversations with those who have encountered unexpected reactions in their journey, including nightmares, rage, and isolation. Participants in our segments share experiences that make them uniquely qualified to join the quest to identify, understand, and resolve these enormous life challenges. Stigma-Free Vet Zone is brought to you by the Orban Foundation for Veterans. Learn more by visiting the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org and donations are always welcome at the OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org slash donate. Thank you for embarking on this educational journey with the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Here's today's segment. Welcome to another edition of Stigma-Free Vet Zone. We have a very exciting program today. I'm very, very anxious to get right to the meat of this one because we have Chris Swift here, who was a combat medic both in Iraq and Afghanistan, and he's been on the program sharing his uh, experiences in Iraq and Afghanistan as a combat medic, but he's also shared the significant struggles he had on coming home that affected his family, affected uh, himself personally with uh, substance abuse, some legal issues, all of those. But we want to get right to it and move on a little bit to what uh, Chris is doing today and the transition successes he's had and now becoming, as he will describe the title to you, a peer mentor at the VA hospital in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So let's get in here right away. Chris Swift is an Army veteran, served uh, 55 months between Iraq and Afghanistan, and as I mentioned, had his issues and struggles when he came home. And welcome back, Chris, and thank you so much for joining us. It's truly an honor and a privilege to be here, Mike. Thank you. Yeah. So let's let's go, and again, let me remind the audience that if you're interested in finding the, the past episodes on Chris, they would go back to September of, two, of 2021 and catch up. Those are the background stories, the original stories. But now let's fast forward, Chris, to where we are today. You've been on the advisory board of the Captain John D. Mason Veteran Peer Outreach Program, if you want to describe a little bit about that, and then describe the other program project that you're on, very valuable, at, at the VA hospital in Milwaukee with Dr. Michael McBride. Okay, um, so with the Captain John D. Mason Veteran Peer Outreach Program, that's a suicide awareness education prevention program, just trying to get uh, veterans into the VA system. So out of the 22 veterans that die by suicide every day, 70% of them are not even seen at the VA. They're not enrolled, nothing. They have no touch with the VA. So we're trying to mitigate that by getting them veterans into the VA system so we can try to find out what's going on and, and assist them with their issues. That continues 
today, um, they kind of added another part of the program where they have the uh, the gunshot project where when some veterans are in crisis, and this is actually open to civilians as well, but it's it started to help out veterans that you can take your weapons and you can take it to a gun shop that is partnered up with that program and they will hold it for 30, 60, 90 days, depending on how long your crisis is. You go there, you give them the weapon. They have to, of course, they have to check it out and verify, make sure it's a legal weapon. That's just part of their their job. And then when you are feeling better, you have to go, you and somebody else has to go pick up the weapon. They don't just give it to the individual and let them take it. That's another thing that was started through the Suicide Awareness Education Prevention. And then uh, with Dr. McBride, we do what they call the vet clinic. It's the veteran empathy training. So we take third-year med students from MCW, the Medical College of Wisconsin, and we teach them how to deal with veterans and then show empathy. We give them a challenge coin. On one side, it has a picture of Old Main, which is the original hospital here and now is a housing unit for about 101 homeless vets that uh, they did $45 million in renovations and they made it into this super nice building and it's got old main. And then on there, it gives our, the title of our program. We don't care how much, you know, we just want to know how much you care, which is a pretty, pretty powerful motto. And then on the other side, it has the flag and the American Eagle. So, and Myron Webster, who is a, a Vietnam veteran, he drew both sides of the coin. So he's part of that program. And uh, in fact, we actually have a group today that we're going to talk to at about 1330 today or 130 today. So that's always, we do that once a month. It's pretty exciting. It was kind of born out of the uh, warrior partnership from the uh, medical college. And then when COVID shut that down, we started the veteran empathy training. Uh, Dr. McBride has worked a worked his butt off getting it set up to where it is now. And so it's been going for two years now. So it's pretty exciting. And now my new position that I work at, at the uh, VA, I work on the uh, outpatient. I work with the PRRC, which is the Psychosocial Rehabilitation and Recovery Center. And we deal with individuals that have some of the more um, extreme mental health and mental disease um, issues and like bipolar, schizophrenia. You know, we try to talk to them and try to help them through their daily struggles. So going from where I was about three years ago to where I am today is it's like going, it's like going from uh, Pluto to the moon. Let, let, let me add to this a couple of things. In the history of this, we're talking about Old Main. We're at the VA hospital in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And the old Maine is actually, I think, one of three, four, five, or six hospitals originally designated by President Abraham Lincoln uh, near the end of the Civil War, uh, which so it gives it a lot of history. Myron Webster, the artist who created the challenge coin, one of, I think this is very important to mention that he's, a, I believe, a Native American, uh, right. tribal American. And it's so nice to have them involved because sometimes we overlook that they were such a significant and continue to be a significant part of the military ex- and veteran experience. So that, that's wonderful. But now you just jump right to that you're working. What is your title, Chris? So I am a peer support specialist for the PRRC. Like I said, that's the Psychosocial Rehabilitation and Recovery Center. So we deal with them with the uh, extreme mental illness, bipolar, schizophrenia, you know, stuff like that, where it's not just, all right, they're having a bad day. Let's see what we can do. It's like, 
they're having a bad day. Now we got to find out what it is. And it's not, they're not always able to communicate that with us. Just like if somebody's saying, you know what, uh, an anniversary is coming up. I'm, I'm struggling. Things are bothering me with the uh, patients that we deal with. It's a little more difficult for them to express themselves, you know, because they have mental, uh, severe mental illness going on. And, and a lot of times we don't even understand what the issue is ourselves. Uh, even without mental illness, I, I didn't always know why I was having the reactions, where they were coming from. So it's always, I think, the element of trust, if we could go to that for a minute. When you don't know exactly what it is that might be tormenting you, and you know that you're not supposed to have some of these reactions, being a soldier or being a veteran, and the stigma that's involved with all of these experiences, what is that element of trust that is so invaluable for them to come, even not necessarily able to identify the crisis, knowing there's a crisis and come to you as a veteran and, and be able to trustingly sit down with you? So one of, the, one of the big things with the veteran community is the veteran community takes care of the veteran community better than any community takes care of any community. Like we've talked in the past, you go places, you see, you see veterans you automatically feel like you belong. It's just that opening. It's just like, it's almost like Christmas, Christmas morning for a 10 year old. You know, they see all the presents, you know, that's like the other veterans you're able to see them. And then you connect right away with them because you've had that experience and not everybody has had the experience of putting the uniform on and doing stuff in the military, having friends in the military, having good times, having bad times. And it doesn't matter, you know, like the inner, um, service banter that goes on. That's like one of the greatest things people don't understand. They're like, wow, you guys really, really get pretty brutal with each other. <laughs> and they don't, they don't understand that that's just normal for us. You know, that's just part of it. It's you part, know? Of the, part of the but, communication. Yeah. Exactly. But the trust when they, when you can go somewhere and you, and you can trust somebody to be able to open up and be vulnerable, which is, you know, like you said, there's, there's still the stigma. There's been a lot of work that's been done, a lot of progress that's been made, but still there is, there is at the end of the day, there's still a little stigma out there, but people are, are starting to open up a little more. And, you know, when you got that trust, that's a huge, huge stepping stone for us to be able to communicate and try to find out what's going on with, with people that come in. Right. I, I would say it's not just a huge stepping stone. It is the stepping stone. It is the most important stepping stone. But now, let me, let me ask you this, Chris, because I have only recently found out that you were promoted to this position. And I, I'm so thrilled to hear that you have received this because you are so qualified by virtue of your experience in the military, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, coming home with your family. But now you're sitting in this position of being a peer mentor. Just take us a little bit, not with identifying anything in particular, but now looking back when these veterans are coming in, do you see a little bit of yourself in these people that are coming in? Uh, well, thanks for the kind words, Mike. I truly appreciate that, especially coming from you, somebody who I have a whole lot of respect for. Um, when I do see some of these patients and we start talking, you do kind of see the, the resemblance is that I'm a recovering alcoholic, so I would always go to alcohol. And a lot of these guys, you know, they have their own vices, whatever it may be, and just that you go to this vice and it's like your go-to no matter what it is. It's like, all right, I'm having a little rough time. I go to my, whatever the, your hiding um, place. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> your denial place. <laughs> yes. And 
you just it's it's almost like an involuntary reflex that you do this you're just like your natural reaction is just to go to whatever makes you feel good whether it's alcohol drugs whatever food you know everybody has whatever that vice may be where it takes them to to where they do feel feel good and then you know you do these maladaptive behaviors and it ultimately it just does not it does not help us all it does is it buries it a little more and then when it comes back it's just going to come back with that that much more force and it doesn't resolve anything it it actually gives you more problems or issues to resolve before you it can start working on the original problem uh, you yep. know, so you you've built up this whole a set of experiences that need to be resolved before you can actually go back. And so uh, that, that would be the next question I'd like to ask you, Chris. What's the importance of getting, importance of getting started on understanding or acknowledging that you have issues that need to be resolved and taking that first step as opposed to what we've just spoken about, the falling into alcohol, hiding from it, denying it, running from it. What's the value that you see in your own life as far as damage to family relationships, damage to professional goals, to dreams that we could avoid by coming in immediately or as soon as possible and getting started to get to this point where you are now, which is it fair to say a definite purpose in life? Oh, 100%. The importance of coming in is one, you're accepting that something's wrong. And from there, you have to admit to yourself and you have to take a accountability for what's going on. Once you do that, that's when you can open up and you can start to see the healing process. You make sure that things are good, that you are opening up, you're being vulnerable and stuff like that. So it's very, very important to be able to accept it. It's like people that do interventions and stuff like that. You can't make somebody try to get better. They have to decide on their own that I'm not going to do this BS anymore. I'm not going to waste my time. I'm not going to run and hide. I just got to, I just got to face it. And to be honest with you, like for so long, I never had, I never really felt anything. I was just always numb, you know, but like now the bad feelings, when the bad shit happens, you know, it sucks. But when the good stuff happens, it's so much better. Just, it just, it just opening up that vulnerability. It's not just that we hide from it or we avoid it. We cause damage while we're not resolving this, while we're not acknowledging that. I mean, damage that I created with my family was was uh, pretty severe. It's certainly something that, that I'm ashamed of. But there's the damage along the way to our own health. There's uh, the damage along the way to our own professional goals and dreams if we have them or if we've lost them. But the other thing that's so very important in taking that step, and I mentioned this to you earlier, when I committed myself to inpatient treatment at Toma, and I walked in for the first time, and there were other veterans, I almost started crying because I was with other people. When I was at home, there were no other people that were veterans who I trusted or who I thought had that same experience. When I met up with these other guys who had had similar experiences, understood where I was, understood the depression, the darkness, the anger, the nightmares, the panic attacks. I could not say enough at how valuable, and I would ask you this, Chris, that first step is. It's huge. So like mine, it's huge. Like mine, it took, it took a lot of bad shit to happen for me to realize like, I can't, I can't keep living like this. And then like for me, alcohol was always my go-to because it never made me feel bad. I could drink when I was happy, sad, angry, mad, upset, hurt. 
shameful, guilty. I could drink anytime. But one now I know that if I were to start drinking again, you know, my life would never be where it is. Like right now would be the, would be the peak of my life. You know, it would never get any better than this. Also thinking about that, this peak in your life, the one thing, another thing additionally that always stuck out for me was not really wanting to tell anybody that I could not resolve the issues I had on my own, that I was not capable. I should have been able to do this. I just didn't know why I couldn't. But if we, if any of us look back at our military, I should, and I, I shouldn't say that, for myself, looking back at my military experience, there's no reason that I should have been capable to understand all the experiences I had with a, an ability to resolve them on my own. And I think th- that failure of me to think that I could do this on my own, I think was bigger than anything else because the experiences themselves were so dramatic, so profound that it takes a little bit of help and guidance. Not that anyone else is going to resolve them for you, but somebody else is going to help you guide as you are as a peer mentor so that they can understand and resolve and accept the experiences. Is that a fair statement? 100%. It's hard, you know, to accept you can't do something. And then it just kind of like tumbles after that. It's kind of like it snowballs. Like we're in the military. We're supposed to be tough, hardened, invincible. Invincible is a lot of, is, is a big word for a lot of people. It gets a lot of us in trouble because we think nothing can happen. We're supposed to uphold our responsibilities as men and women and soldiers and patriotism and honor. And to have these crises come up or these failures or these cracks in the armor and all that sort of thing are just unacceptable. And when we really think, when I really think of the actual experiences, there's no way that I could have gone through those experiences without cracks in the armor. It never would have worked unless I was really, I I would say a different type of mentally ill and that would be psychopathic. And now talking to some of the guys that I've been with, you know, some of the guys who are some of the toughest, hard nosed, badasses, guys that, they should make movies about, they should have action figures about just tell their story instead of making up these stories. It would be, I think it would be great because they're people that you see walking down the street, but they do just some amazing things and you never, ever, ever, ever see that. It's not like every day you walk down the street and you're like, Oh, you know what? That's a hero. Like that's like, we use the word hero so much and we're unable to identify them as easy as we do like famous people. So like people who put on jerseys or singers, stuff like that. Do you think it's that we're not able to identify them as human beings, as just everyday human beings who have had experiences that they have upheld or withstood or resolved or whatever it is, but are we all heroes? I, I, I agree with you. There's trouble using that word with everybody for every circumstance and every reason where, where it overlooks what the, what the person individually is, is actually feeling and experiencing. Yeah. I think that we need to find like a, maybe a different word or a different definition of it, you know, like a standard for it, you know, because a lot of these guys are heroic by definition, the word hero is doing stuff that others will not do. And some of these guys just do stuff and it's like an involuntary reflex, like breathing. Like your body breathes for you, you know, and these guys, it's like, all right, shit hits the fan. All right. It's time to turn into this badass. It's like, boom, the switch flips, they go take care of business and then they go back. And it's, it's, it's amazing. I was, I was lucky 
to be able to see some of that up close and personal. Oh yeah. What, what, one of the things that I've noticed, and I have to be very careful how I say this, when we go through our basic training and advanced training, everything is about primarily the physical training. Get yourself in physical condition. And we have these beautiful muscular bodies and we have the tattoos and we all look like these warriors. And, and yet it's not the effect that war is going to have on us is not except for the physical wounds by actual weaponry, but it is psychologically is that's physical bodybuilding. The tattoos are not going to protect us emotionally and mentally and spiritually. And I don't, so sometimes I see a confusion in how we look physically compared to what the real challenge is going to be. And that real challenge is going to be emotionally, mentally, spiritually. And I don't know that we're always prepared to have the weaponry or the defense system to come up against that. I think for a lot of guys, you know, like you were talking about the tattoos, I think it's very important that the tattoos are able to, you know, they get those and it gives them that feeling of not quite invincibility, but it's like, it's their go-to that, all right, I can do this. I think that it's, it's their badge of honor that they have and they're able to knock it out. Yeah. you know, knock out the regular stuff. And, you know, when the kids ask them about it or when the other vets are like, Hey, where did you get this, this tattoo for? why did you do this? Why did you do that? I, I think it, it's combined that we do everything. The one thing that's always, I struggled with when I got home, I didn't struggle with it while I was in the military was my language. Uh, and you, <laughs> you develop every possible thing you can be to be the invincible warrior. The tattoos, the physical workouts, all of these things, including the language that you don't want. And, and these all are things that we believe are going to give us that aura or sense of being a warrior. Everything all put together. Uh, language, uh, humor, the humor, the things we laugh off are, 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 are startling. So it's that combination of all of these things that we put together. But then when the time comes to shift back to society, a lot of these not a lot, but some of these aspects aren't necessary anymore. The, the language isn't necessary. And, and going back and acknowledging the effects that have been on us through our military career, as you have and as I have, we shouldn't really be ashamed to go and, and make those. But it's, I think, educational in many cases rather than mental health issues. We just don't know how to do it. But now where you are now, Chris, when we go back and look, tell us the things where you are sitting today that you would provide for others as hope. So, for example, I, I know that you have family members that you are very, very close to, and we spoke about this this morning, going to the basketball games and how important all of these uh, new aspects of your life are, but that this hope is all there for you if you're willing to take the steps to work at getting to that point. It's extremely rewarding. You know, I have a 10-year-old daughter. She plays softball, basketball, so it's like, she played summer league basketball and then she plays softball and there's just so much going on. And when you're not accepting that you have issues, you're not doing anything to get better. You're not making an effort to move forward. You are, you are standing in the, almost like standing still, if not falling back and making no progress. And, you know, all that stuff that I would miss out, like you can't, it's just so important to make those steps to get help, to be able to experience those things. And then not just experience them, but experience the emotions that go with it, like close games. You just being in there in the moment, just watching it. And it's, that's part of my recovery that I also need 
not just the not touching alcohol, but I need the closeness with my daughter doing stuff with her and, you know, taking her with the family and when we do stuff and, you know, those are necessary things. And I think when, when you're caught up in denial and addiction, you miss out on so much, so much other stuff. Not just missing out, but I, th- I think we referred to it earlier in the conversation as numbing. We numb ourselves out so that going to the baseball game or the basketball game or any any of the sporting activities, whether it's there in the band or in a play, whatever it is, we're so numb to the activities of our family members or our loved ones that we can just go through life not even acknowledging them or not even participating in them. The hope is really coming back after acknowledging, after resolving, after understanding and accepting the issues that we've had, that these things are there waiting for us. And they're really called real joy, real hope, yeah. real love. I mean, real something outside of ourselves that allows us to joy, enjoy life outside of the, the surface of our bodies. You know, something I mentioned earlier was, you know, once you start feeling the feelings, you know, the bad sucks that you have to have the bad feelings, but the good <laughs> is so good. Yeah. That it, it's just like there's no limit, there's no there's no ceiling on how happy and you use the word joy, how joyful you can be. Yeah. You know, there's no no more, yeah. no more of that. Well, it's, it's really a good way to put it, Chris. Because if you go back and think when everything was dark, uh, everything was unhappy, everything was hopeless, everything was numbed, everything that could have been good was still numb. And the only way that you know that something is bad now or something is unpleasant is because now you have the pleasant things to compare them to. So you know when you're up, you know when you're down. When you're down, you're just down all the time. The shadow that's on the ground that from the depression or the sadness or the isolation is always there. So, of course, without being philosophical, we're never going to know how good the good things are without having the bad things and knowing and understanding how bad they are. But take a few minutes now before we wrap up the conversation, Chris, and just share with us how you feel about the voyage where you've been, how you feel where you are now. Is that part of healing? Are we, you and I, all of us who have been veterans who are healing, going to heal for the rest of our lives, but finding a purpose in your life? What is the pure value of these? But just retrace the voyage a little bit and express where you are today, not as the person just helping out, but as a person who's being helped out. Um, I think... uh to kind of go back to like the, uh, the joy, the joy is such a, a huge thing in it. And without the healing, you can't find that joy. This is like an, it's like an unlimited joy. Like, like I said, there's no ceiling on it. Nothing like that. Going from where I was, where, like you said, it was, everything was negative. Everything was bad. Everything just sucked. And then it's, it's hard to get out of there. It's like you're in quicksand and you're, you're, you're working harder and harder and harder just to be miserable. And that like miserable is your good. That's awful. That's awful that somebody feels like that. And, you know, once you get the help and things start going and it's not like you go, it's like anything you do, you practice it. So I go to therapy, you know, we just went through it the other day since, since in the last three years, I've gone over to over 300 different therapy sessions since July of 2019. I mean, that's a, that's a hundred a year. So that's two a week. So you just got to keep doing it, keep practicing. You know, it's like how people get good at like sports at pool, darts, golf, football, basketball, baseball, you got to practice, you got to do it. So it's like, I take, I take meds and I go to therapy. That's how I do it. And then I talk to other people, you know, this helped me, you know, 
maybe this will help you. And just being able to get to that meaningful and purposeful experience, like that's where I'm at now, having that purpose. Like when I was a medic, I had a complete purpose. Everybody came to me for their, with their problems. Then I left and I had nothing. My purpose was drinking and getting stupid, you know, getting in trouble. That was, that was my purpose. And now, now I have something where I can, I can help out others. You know, I can say, Hey, you're kind of going down a path that I was going down. This is what happened with me. This is what I saw. This is what I ended up doing. Maybe that'll work for you. Maybe it won't, but we can sit down and we can try to figure out what's going to work for you because a lot of veterans think that their story is just completely unique, that nobody else has a story like that. Nobody else is upset or anything like that. And then like you talked earlier, you walk into a room, you see a bunch of veterans, you automatically feel relaxed. You automatically feel better because there's people, your brothers, your sisters, they're right there with you to take you to hold your hand and take you to the point where you get that hope realized and then you feel that joy and then you just, things just get better and better. And, you know, one of the things, one of the um, sayings that I like is that in life, you're going to have good and bad. So it takes both sun and rain to make a rainbow. Wow. Great saying. That's good. I like that. Let me ask you this question, Chris, whenever I speak with you, all these new questions keep coming up because they're so important to the conversation for me. One of the things that strikes me, maybe you could respond to this. When we're in the military, one of the things, whether it's uh, overseas or at home, one of the things that we look forward to more than anything else, and for me, it was in Vietnam, what's one of the most things, what, what is one of the most important things you want? Well, you want to go home. You want to return yeah. to more life at home. You want more life. You don't want to be lost in the military. Uh, we're young and we've got plans and dreams while we're there. Why is it when we come home, that can disappear. That whole sense of any concern for living, any concern for taking responsibility, anything. All of a sudden, that desperation for life is gone. Uh, kind of have that emptiness when you when you leave those situations. Because as much as they suck, they suck for everybody. And then when you experience them with people, it just it's like you can't you can't duplicate that experience like going to a baseball game is not the same as going and getting into a firefight in Iraq, Afghanistan, Vietnam. It's nothing like that, yeah. you know. Yeah, there's a lot of good in going to a baseball game with people and you experience, "Oh man, I had a great time." You know, not to say that all those times you were together in combat were great, but you were together and you experienced it together and the suck was there for both of you or all of you depending on how many were there. You and know? the intensity of the suck was there for all of you. The intensity was there. <laughs> the intensity was there. So now when, when we get home, the other thing that struck me over the years, Chris, was that from the time I was mo- small or born until the time I entered the military, I always had a professor. Somebody was always teaching me. My parents were teaching me. School was teaching me. The, the social laws were teaching me. You get to the military, and by God, drill sergeants are the pe- people teaching you all the time. It came to my attention later on that when I got out of the military, the one person for the first time in my life that was not there was a professor to tell me what to do next, was the leader who said, this is what your discipline will be. And if I didn't recognize that, I had to be 
the professor. I had to be the leader. I had to come up with the program for life. I had to come up with the discipline. I mean, you come home, there's no discipline. If you want to sit in the basement and get drunk, you want to go out and do uh, whatever you want with drugs, go ahead and do it. There's no Article 15 that's going to follow you there, unless, of course, you break a law. So I think it became important to me to understand or be enlightened with the idea that I have to be the person that takes leadership to define the program, to define how I'm going to live the rest of my life. And if we stop and think about that, what a great honor that we can now take all of the experiences of our life and we can be the person that shapes our reality for where we go forward. And I think if we understand that, there's great hope just in that idea. At least there would be for me. Does that make, does that make any sense? Oh, that makes a lot of sense. You know, it's, it's awesome just to hear different perspectives and then just to have a different look at how, how things are, you know, and I think that's why it's important having podcasts like this. People can listen and, you know, they don't always go in thinking, well, maybe I'm going to learn something or maybe I'll get something extra out of this week or whatever. But as long as, you know, you can, one person can listen and go, oh, you know what? That makes a lot of sense. As long as we can help one person a week, how awesome is that? Because after, after time that adds up. Well, it does. And it's not a numbers game. It, you know, it's not a it's not a number of whether one or one million. It's a matter of sharing our voices, as we've talked about before, so that our general experience or the accumulation of our experiences can be available to those people who might say, "Oh, I listen to Mike Orban. I, I like what he said. Oh, I listen to Bob Bach. I like what he said. That helps me. It gives me hope." I listen to Chris Swift, and he even calls himself Swifty. So I, you know, I, I get that because I have a nickname. But I like what he said. He was a combat medic the way I was. So he's got something. It's not that we're all going to have the panacea ourselves or, or, or help every person, but our, the accumulation of all of our voices speaking out will be like a repository for those people who want to listen and say that that particular aspect helps me. Uh, but I, I think that whole idea of taking responsibility and being aware that we have a choice to take all of the experiences of our life, no matter how bad they were, they are still every moment that adds up to who we are this moment and we have a choice, and there's not going to be another professor or drill sergeant who comes along to say, if you do that, you're going to be punished. But we know what the punishments are by living. But we also know the freedom, if we take it, to really put all of these experiences together to move forward and get to a place as you are, and you would have that purpose. And so that purpose is something that is, you defined it before, and I think it was, it caught on as soon as you said it. You help other people that what is better in life. So the goal is never going to be, at least for me, that I have materialistic things. In fact, I think a lot of us as, as uh, military people come back and materialism can get in our way, can be something we despise. But that goal of helping others because we know what it's like to have been in that place, that's a powerful purpose and goal, don't you think? 100%. You know, it's necessary. You know, like purpose that's that's irreplaceable. It's one of those things that we have to have. If we don't have the purpose, I mean, everything else is just like, whatever. Purpose gives us that, all right, we're going to get up, we're going to do this. You know, If we have to work 500 days to help out one person, then that's what we got to do. Let me ask you this a question this way and see if you agree. It's a difference between having a dream that gives you an income and having habits that you have to work at something, no matter what it is, to have money to pay for what you're doing. 
I, I mean, what a huge difference. And I've been there taking a job just so I could pay for my beer and the rent that I had to pay and the food, just substance living, as opposed to having a dream and a goal that gets you somewhere. And it stuck out as soon as you said that, helping other people. What a great goal. Yeah, it's helped me. I've had so many people help me out. So I want to I wanna help out vets. You know, it's an important part of my life, you know, veterans are. So tell us, how does somebody... Let's say they're listening to us right now, and they they think you know I would like to get in touch with a with a, a veteran peer mentor. How do they go about that? How how do they contact, or what are steps they can take to get in touch with someone, even to find out about the program if they would be interested in, in joining or not? Yeah, so they can uh, talk to somebody at Building Forty Three on the first floor. They have the uh, groups down there that they talk to, like Jason Fisher. He's one of the people, one of the big gurus downstairs that gets people into programs. You know, he kind of talks to them, kind of vets them. And then that way, talk to your psychiatrists, your psychologists, um, tell them, hey, I want to start seeing somebody. I don't want to see a social worker, a psychiatrist, psychologist. I want to see a, a peer. Um, you can call my office. It's one 384 extension 42065. I'm here Monday through Friday. I'm more than happy to talk to people at any time. And the value of taking that first step, Chris. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, I, I, I can't even quantify it. All right. Well, Chris Swift, thank you so much again for coming in and sharing this. I, I'm so happy to hear about the voyage that you've been in and how you've resolved that and how you're moving on. It just makes me smile to know how you are doing with your family in your personal life outside of the veteran community, because this is so valuable to us, because some of us have done a lot of damage to our marriages, past marriages, relationships, children's, you know, estranged from our children and all that, uh, so that you have covered all these ground, made a lot of repairs, I'm sure, uh, and and going on to helping veterans uh, who are struggling today is just so, so valuable. So, Thanks for coming on and sharing that. And thanks for the work you're doing. And know that you can always call me and say, Mike, I got something I want to talk about on a podcast and we'll do it. Uh, or if you awesome. want to be a periodic guest, you're always welcome. So Chris Swift, 55 hours, Iraq, Afghanistan, combat medic, uh, alcohol, substance abuse, finally getting in touch with helping veterans through different programs like the John D. Captain John D. Mason, Veteran Pure Outreach, uh, your program with Doc McBride at the VA Hospital in Milwaukee. What was the name of that one again? The Vet Clinic, the Veteran Empathy Training. Veteran Empathy Training. And that that's something that medical students can check into as well, not just veterans. Third-year medical, third medical students from yeah. Medical College of Wisconsin. And I, I would believe Marquette University could probably participate if they wanted. Uh, they want to. Yeah, we so, could set something up for them. Yeah, set something up. I, I know the pharmacy students get involved in some of these programs as well. So, And, and then, of course, getting to your own peer mentorship. Thanks, thanks for all that. And, but thanks uh, for coming on and sharing this and giving – some of our listeners, a little bit of hope. I sure appreciate it. My pleasure, Mike. Anytime. All right. So thank you also to our audience for joining us today. And please check us out for more resources on our website at uh, orbanfoundationforveterans.org. And please, if you're struggling in any way and would like to speak with a real person, take down this number, the Veterans Crisis Line. There's two of them now. 1-800-273-8255, then press number one. That's uh, what's still there, but it's the old number. That's been replaced 
by the uh, new number, which is a direct uh, number that I had right here, which is 988. 988. Thanks, Chris. And that's the, the same number, gets you the same crisis line. But talking to a person as we are here today with somebody who can set you on the path to, a, I, I would put into three or four words. One is to acknowledging that you have issues, understanding that you want to ask for help, finding the resources you need, resolving the issues, and accepting those things as part of your life experience. A great path to, to take. So for my co-host, Bob Bach, I'm Michael Orban. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Stigma Free Vet Zone. Your comments are always encouraged and welcome. And remember, this is educational, not stigmatizing. Thank you for listening to the Stigma-Free Vet Zone podcast. Your feedback is welcomed and encouraged. You'll find contact information on our webpage, OrbanFoundationForVeterans.org. While you're there, please consider making a contribution. Donations help us continue to bring greater hope, understanding, and resolution on issues of civilian readjustment for all military veterans and families. Anyone who donates to the podcast will receive a free copy of the book, Sold Out, Conquering the Experiences of War, by Michael Orban. On behalf of Michael Orban, Bob Bach, and Aaron Schraufnagel, thanks for joining us, and please tune in again.